Russia still can't make anything happen in Bakhmut, it seems, but that doesn't stop them from trying to settle the domestic issues at home. And even that isn't going so hot. I'm Paul, U.S. Army combat veteran. It is December 28th, 2022. This is your daily Ukraine update. Let's get into it. Okay, first off, when we look at the, the control map, we can see that officially there's not been any changes across the front. Uh, they've assessed Bakhmut again as having pushed the Russians out and that they control almost no parts of the urban uh, Bakhmut area. Uh, that they've made some advances on the outskirts in this Abdine region. Uh, but overall, again, despite being the main effort, apparently, of the Russian war effort, um, and despite the fact that the Ukrainians don't actually intend on pushing the Russians out of Bakhmut, they still can't seem to advance. This is, it's hard to understate how uh, bizarre this is. And I say that because Again, Ukrainian forces have stated explicitly that Bakhmut doesn't hold strategic value. It's purely a psychological victory for the Russians. And while giving the Russians a victory um, over a meaningless prize is not something the Ukrainians are just going to roll over and do, the Ukrainian strategy is to make the Russians pay the greatest possible price in Bakhmut. And not really, I mean, obviously the Ukrainians are counterattacking to retake territory, but this isn't part of a systematic effort to drive them here. And yet the Russians cannot make gains, despite the fact that, again, I, I assume that the Ukrainian command expects the Russians to slowly, block by block, advance, and that Ukraine's plan is to make them take massive casualties, expend huge amounts of equipment, um, throw their best soldiery at it, and um, have them get ground down. And even the Russians themselves acknowledge that Bakhmut's a meat grinder, and yet, after all of it, after months of fighting, they still have literally nothing to show for it. Not one block of the main city is held by Russian forces. They've affected no encirclements uh, of any substance. And again, it's just a real testament to just how much the Russian war machine, one of the most feared armies on the globe, um, how far they've fallen. That even Ukrainian forces who, you know, it, it, admittedly are brave and valiant but are still remain dwarfed by russia's economy and population and influence globally uh are still simply almost comically able to parry russian efforts in this city um when we look at the let's see if we can find it here uh the a combat map uh they actually haven't updated uh the ground assaults you can see here it lists uh spirne yakolivka solidar botmutsky Marienka, Zolotiva, all these a, a whole bunch of attacks from different directions they, they just haven't mapped them the only one they've mapped is down here in the south uh i don't know southeast region um which itself is kind of unusual because 
as you guys can see, this is not actually one of the more contested regions. We don't see a lot of combat happening here. So it's kind of unusual to see Russia launch an attack near this uh, Velenka, uh, the small village of Zolota Neva. Uh, and in but, but they have advanced over all the regions that they can predict. And this is sort of what's bizarre to me is just how predictable the Russians have become. I actually really feel more and more like my theory that that the Russian military is rudderless and is functioning on like autopilot that commanders are issued commanders at a fairly low level are probably are issued standing orders to attack uh, at certain intervals and that they just appear to be continuing to do so um and that's why you're seeing these very dispersed attacks, right? You, we can predict that within the next probably 48 hours, you'll see three attacks trying to clear out space from Donetsk. You'll see attacks from the south, the east. You'll see them push into towards Solodar through Botmutsky, Yakulivka towards Vasily. Uh, you'll probably see them also attack near Kremenina and in this contested region here. And that's going to be it. They're going to be straight forward assaults. They are not going to be complicated. They're totally predictable. And it's almost like, again, there's not a there's no general at the top who's putting the pieces together and engaging in a strategy. Right now, you have a series of, of tactics um, implemented by different commanders who are simply looking at their own sort of piece of the pie. Nobody is really concerned about bringing the whole recipe together. And again, for the Ukrainians, this probably is fine. As Sun Tzu said, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. And the Ukrainians are probably burning far fewer troops and are able to not only burn troops, but are able to carefully plan and prepare for their next offensive effort, right? which is probably going to take, um, you know, I some people suspect it'll take shape in the dead of winter when the Russians are at their lowest point, but Ukrainian forces who are somewhat better prepared for winter conditions are going to be actually more able to fight. Uh, some people think it'll be in the spring, um, but it's really tough to say where the Ukrainians will, but when the ball is in their court, I think they've learned from the Kharkiv offensive that you're, it's much higher return to go hard um, at your chosen place and time than to follow the Russian strategy of tiny, meaningless attacks um, spread out over months and months and months. Right? We've seen sort of the uh, we've seen that when the Ukrainians are effective in their strategy, that they take large pieces of territory at once, and they're not really concerned with taking small pieces of ground. So. I think that's a good overall summary of the combat that's been happening uh, over this early part of winter. I also want to pull up Warmapper. Warmapper is a Twitter account uh, who produces these very, very detailed and constantly daily updated maps of uh, the Battle of Bakhmut particularly. And two of the changes here, again, Russians are pushing to try to advance south through Optine. Uh, you guys can see that they are trying to take... Uh, this little again suburb here but this is still just listed as russian present so this is still listed as a contested region as well as trying to advance through this recycling center this is on the um south eastern part of bachmet and i think it's significant in that you guys can see that this is kind of open terrain here 
and you have Ukrainian forces dug in along this north-south axis and along this east-west axis. I would not want to be a Russian troop trying to advance through this open ground while Ukrainians can observe you from two directions. Uh, this is sometimes called a... Um, Oh my gosh, an L-shaped ambush when you, on a tactical level, when you have a force that's arrayed at a 90 degree angle to the rest of your force, because anything inside this zone can get caught in a crossfire. So even if you try to get cover from these guys, it won't protect you from cover in the other direction. Now, obviously, this is just two kilometers. So you're talking about actually trying to advance into this corner will actually put you in small arms range of both of these forces, especially of their machine gunners and mortar teams. Boy, howdy, that's not the advance that I would want to make. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about the news in Russia. All right, things are not going great. And we're going to turn over to ground news, right? This is probably the best source for news in this conflict, especially when it's news about Russia, because there's so much propaganda. I, of course, have, they're a great sponsor of the channel, and they are linked in the description. You can check them out for free with my link. Um, first off, the likelihood of being killed is so great that Russia is actually offering free sperm freezing to soldiers sent to Ukraine. That's pretty dark and pretty messed up. That's all I got to say about that. Um, right, Russia, of course, has banned oil exports to countries that impose the price cap. We've talked a little bit about this in other, um, in other videos. And what I find fascinating about the price cap is that Putin actually was hoping that Europe would ban the shipments of his oil. He was hoping that Putin would do these things or that the, the West would do these things. And the reason he was hoping for that is because he still has customers for his oil, India and China, and demand in those countries is very high, but he has to still sell it at market prices. And market prices are really not all that high in the grand scheme of things. So that means that he was hoping that if Western Europe was to block his block the sale of Russian oil entirely, that the giant hole in demand that would need to be filled by the market would spike oil prices, especially because the markets can get panicky and that you would see some hoarding type behavior. But when the European countries introduced a price cap, they said, okay, you know, we aren't going to pay a, a any price to support Russia's war effort, while with the other hand, we're giving aid to fight Russia's war effort. But they also couldn't just stop the oil entirely and spike the price. Um, so what then can they do? Well, they introduced the price cap. And the problem, let's see here. So there we go. Here is a nice look. This is this is the crude oil price cap, right? Not natural gas, but natural gas, I think, broadly trends in the same way. You guys can see that early in the invasion, there was a spike in natural gas prices. This was a boon for uh, crude oil prices. This is a boon for Vladimir Putin, who was able to use this money to fund his war effort. And in some ways, this actually trends almost perfectly with his success on the battlefield, right? February, it, this was probably the high watermark of his fortunes, right? When Russian forces were nearly at the gates of Kiev. And then it began 
to falter. And Russia redoubled its efforts in the east, appearing to appropriately scale its military objectives. But then as Ukraine began to advance and the Russian war machine slowed, you can see that the price of crude has dropped. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think the price of crude is directly related to Russian success or failure on the battlefield. But what I think it more likely is, is that when Russia tries to pay, right, when Russia tries to purchase high-tech weapons like uh, drones, for example, or advanced artillery systems, it needs to be able to fund those. And when they can fund their war effort well, it goes well. And when their war effort is funded poorly, the it it goes more poorly. And you can see now, this is, despite being the dead of winter, uh, price crude oil prices are very, very low. I wonder if we can look and it'll give me natural gas over the past year. Let's see. Yep. As you guys can see the exact same trend, a huge spike in June and another huge spike in August. And then think prices have actually stabilized quite a bit and are now actually at almost an annual low. It hasn't been this low since March. And again, trending perfectly with, the, I think, the Russian war effort and war success. So anyway, I think that's really something interesting that we need to always consider is the macro picture, right? These countries don't fight for free. Soldiers don't fight for free. They have to be funded. And if you can't take out debt, if the cost of, of debt is too high, you have to sell it from natural resources. And you guys can see also another story from Ground News is that, well, the Russians are getting increasingly upset with their situation, their command. And obviously, when Russia itself considers it worthwhile to offer soldiers to um, uh, freeze their sperm in an effort to... Um, you know, father a child uh, after their death, that, that feels more like a capitulation that you won't be coming back from this conflict. And correctly, I think, soldiers are becoming furious with their command. Now, we can say, oh, this was like a drunken brawl that resulted in a death. That's one context. But remember, if there's one soldier around as commander, it means that all the other soldiers sat and watched this happen. They may have even egged him on as he beat his commander to death. This is super, super uh, messed up. It means basically not one person in the unit was like, hey, 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 stop beating up the captain. Every person in that unit was like pretending they didn't see anything or more likely egging him on. And that's the level of resentment I think you're starting to see among these mobilized troops who really are just as as resentful of the Russian war machine uh, as the Ukrainians. Uh, again, as I've said repeatedly on this channel, if you are going to be, if you're a Russian soldier who's mobilized and you have days of training, you aren't, this is not what being a soldier is. You aren't a soldier. Probably the professional formations that you serve with are not going to want you around. Instead, what you should do for the safety of yourself and for the others in your unit is surrender to the Ukrainians and don't let them repatriate you for any reason. Um, anyway, guys, that's all I had. Of course, if you want the combat video breakdowns, you know the viral ones I'm talking about, the kind that YouTube won't let me show you. I break down all of those videos um, on the Patreon. I research the location where I think they're happening. It's a really, really fun uh, video series that I do. But 
thanks to my lieutenant tier patrons, right? You guys are the ones who really make this possible. But the link to the Patreon is in the description. So go check it out. Come join. Uh, also, of course, check out Ground News for free. I'll see you guys in the next one.